Hamlet Corpica, three days before the attack on the fateful Lake Wall caravan. Bishop Granite collects broken things, shattered little game pieces in his opulent pile of shit. Broken and filthy though they are, they do not simply lie in the squalor and resign themselves. No, they squabble for position, attempt to climb their way up said pile of shit. Shit though it may be, someone still has to be on top. Marinay has held this position for many years now, He'd once been a master of his craft. No, his art. Death. He'd served with the military in the lower wilds as a slate. A harmless little slate. None of those soldiers had ever suspected it was him who butchered them at night. Oh, how he'd got to know those little knives he kept. He'd studied the marriage of blade and flesh and screen. And now he was here. He'd accumulated quite a few deaths to his name. His choice of targeting the powerful, though it had been a thrill at the time, proved detrimental when he was caught. It turns out he'd killed just a few too many high-ranking officials. As such, his capture was something that the Odrossian military had not forgotten, nor did it seem they ever would. Despite his scholarly pursuit of death, when faced with it, he found he feared it. Yes, he'd rather stay alive. And so here he was, in a symbiotic relationship with Bishop Granite. His knives were tucked safely away, just collecting dust. Except for one he kept on his person for protection. He and Granite are in a meeting with a third today. The attack on the caravan is scheduled for two days' time. The guiding stars think they have a plan in place but much of it has been left to granite. They are fools to trust the bishop, though. Oh, they'll get their attack all right. Granite had requested one of the guiding stars come directly to the hamlet so he could discuss his plans. An intermediary was sent, a low-level member. Granite was not pleased. Marinet always attended these meetings. He is the adjutant to the bishop, and has had a place of confidence here for many years. Until very recently, he had been the only person privy to all of Granite's plans. Marinet's mind shifted to that bastard Grey Eyes, Sayut, the newest piece. When Granite had brought him here, he'd been nearly a prisoner. Now the bishop and Sayut conversed secretly. These were conversations Marinet was not privy to, and that annoyed him. He felt his spot atop this pile of shit slipping. It was embarrassing that he should care, but he did. The emissary attempted to convey information from the guiding stars and attempted to dispel Granite's concerns. Granite again demanded to speak to the leader. Of course, Marinet knew long ago that this argument was always in bad faith. This was no emissary. A bringer of death always knows another on sight. Marinet watched as the emissary carefully poured poison into Granite's drink. It was pristine. This man knew his art. It was clear. The stars were done with this foul bishop. They'd used him. Now they were to dispose of him. Granite gulped down the poisoned drink. The emissary fidgeted. He looked around the room. He looked at Marinet. Marinet smiled and nodded. 
Ah, yes. Poor fool. Marinay watched as the assassin waited more and more anxiously for a death that would never come. Previously, Ifair of the Seventh Bond is dead. She has sacrificed herself for Whisper and Talie's sake. But what now? The fateful Lakewall caravan has been decimated. The only known survivors are at the chasm where the three-sided bridge once stood. What powers has Bishop Granite employed for this attack? What powers does Bishop Granite have? And what end? Blood and Black Iron. Hamlet Corpica, one year prior. A festering presence, Marinay. She calls me a festering presence. And you didn't know? How is that possible? Marinay flinched. He sat at the far end of the table in the hall of Marjorie Marie as he often did. This is how he gave account to Granite of all the information held exclusively in his head. Money owed, money stored, deaths required, deaths completed. Granite loved these recountings, but tonight only one thing occupied his attention. Gossip. Marinet had long ago learned to play Granite like a skilled musician plays their instrument, but this instrument called the Bishop was far from a masterpiece. It was temperamental, warped, out of tune, unpredictable. Even a prodigal musician can only do so much with an instrument. Tonight was one of the nights that the instrument was getting the better of the musician. A festering presence, Marinet. She said I haunt the gardens. And why? Because I simply watch her work? It is no fault of mine that Marinet seethed. The gardener, that stupid bastard, had blabbed to Sayut about how the bishop was leering at his daughter. Sayut, attempting to gain some favor of his own, recounted this to Bishop. And he'd done it all wrong. And now Marinet was to pay a nuisance. He'd hoped to keep the gardener in his good graces. The old man heard and saw much. He was a good resource. Curses. Why had the man gone to the gray eyes? Marinet's foothold on this mountain of shit was slipping and he realized now how much he dreaded tumbling down. It was no secret that the bishop haunted the garden like a bloated red spirit of ill intent staring slack-jawed at the poor girl. It was so bad that the girl had stopped tending the gardens during the day. Marinet chose his response carefully. You forget, Bishop Granite, your own regalness. 
is it not reasonable for the father of a poor girl to try and protect his daughter from delusions? To dissuade her from thinking she is worthy to be with, nay, wed, a bishop? It is a selfish request on his part, yes. But you can surely understand that the man wishes to protect his girl from such disappointments. It is hard for the common man to look at one such as yourself and think logically. You demonstrate the pinnacle of these people's lives. He is trying to set expectations for his daughter, that she is truly not worthy of you. Do not the mountains appear closer than they truly are? And so some forget how far you tower above us. The bishop nodded slowly. He mumbled into his cup. He had no rebuttal and seemed melancholic. Marinay had not expected this. A silence hung while Granite continued to eat. He downed an entire goblet, stared into the empty cup, and brought up one of his favorite topics of conversation with Marinay. You need me. Marinay gritted his teeth. Granite's eyes were vacant, cold and gray. They looked but did not see. Such a fool, but his words pierced. If not for the bishop's strange protections, Marinay would have been caught many years ago, would have learned true death. Of course, Marinay bows his head. Granite pointed his knife in the adjutant's direction. You think you're safe from me too. You think that info in your head will save you. No. I don't need you. You are a convenience. But if I were gone, how long would it be, Marinay? How long before the Cardinal or that woman have their fun with you? How many of their men did you kill again? I hold them at bay. The bishop now set down his knife and stared at the table. Marinay expected another verbal beating, but strangely, Granite just sat there staring. A serving girl knocked over a goblet, something that would usually send Granite into a rage, but the bishop did not even notice. Marinay took a risk. What troubles you, bishop? He asked. She truly finds me a... a festering presence? This was new. Marinay sometimes forgot about emotions, which was easy around Granite, as he seemed to share in Marinay's blessing of having none. But this, it was what Marinay had come to classify as longing. Granite was lonely. He wasn't ogling the woman for no reason. The bumbling fool truly thought there was something there. Marinay leaned back and smiled. The musician prepared. The instrument was tuned and ready for a song. Keller. Marinay used Granite's true name for some extra gravitas. Tact is in order. Forgive me, but you do appear a spirit as you loiter in those gardens. Why? You are a powerful man. Keep your distance. Learn her interests. When the time is right, strike up a true conversation. I know you are smart enough to already think of all these things on your own. You surely just need reminding. It is difficult to manage an entire realm and to manage love. 
The last part was to stroke Granite's ego, implying the idea was his own, increased the likelihood it would stick. Yes, wait, and then talk, Granite said. Yes, yes. A smile bloomed on his face. I am wise to have thought of such things. Marinet took an imaginary bow, a flawless performance on a very flawed instrument. Perhaps Marinet would hold his throne atop this pile of shit, after all. Hamlet Corpica, the day after the attack on the fateful Lakewall caravan. The smoke in the web still smelled of flesh and hair. The common people would never know that word had arrived at Hamlet Corpica suspiciously quickly after the attack. The timeline of the attack and the actions that would follow did not add up. But the guiding stars did not care. They did not need to care. All was in place. They were in control. Surely they were in control. Marinet did not know fear as most do. He had a sense of self-preservation, but this was more akin to what animals do when they gnaw their legs off to avoid a trap than an emotion. This being said, he'd encountered what he would classify as true fear three times. The night he'd been caught practicing his art. The night he'd been approached by the five. And that night, a little less than a year ago, that he did not let himself think about. Tonight, he added a fourth time to that list. Marinet stood in the door of the Hall of the Martyr Marie, staring at the Cardinal of War. The Cardinal turned and their eyes met. He was an unremarkable man, ugly even. His hair was white with memories of red, and his face was pockmarked. Despite his appearance, he had an air of authority and gravitas that sucked oxygen and hope from the room. He stared at Marinet. His face fell in anger. Marinet reached for the only knife he kept on his person, the one he kept for situations like this. We do not need another person here for this conversation, the cardinal growled. Relief washed over Marinet. The cardinal did not know who he was. He is a trusted confidant, Granite replied. He is loyal, he is proven, he passed my test. Marinet entered the room and sat. The Cardinal of War grimaced and glowered at the bishop. So, the Cardinal of War was one of the true guiding stars. The guiding stars wanted Granite as a tool, not an equal. Unfortunately for them, they were still expecting their master musicians to produce a wonderful sound out of a very flawed instrument. And they were about to realize the cacophony they had created. Two slates sat beside the cardinal. One was unshielded and writing. These were witnesses. What has happened? Marinet asked. He knew full well what had happened. He'd helped plan it. His and Golden's involvement were the only reason the Five had accepted such a bizarre contract. But part of this treacherous plot was the theatrics of it all, of course. The Cardinal described the gruesome attack on the Lake Wall caravan, and Marinet put on a perfect performance of dismay. The Cardinal returned his gaze to Granite. I hastened to Lake Wall as soon as I heard the news of this treacherous attack. 
a tragedy. These bandits grow in boldness. These attacks increase in frequency, intensity, and cruelty. They must be stopped. Once we know the numbers of the dead and have safely brought the survivors back into the wall, I propose we take extreme measures. We call a vote, a historic vote, to allow Odros to increase its military presence inside Lake Wall. I dread saying this. We have avoided such a thing for so long, and I know it may be seen as an occupation by the misguided. The slightest smile touched the cardinal's perfectly composed mask of sorrow. But it is the best thing for the protection of the people. No vote needed, Granite said, licking his fingers and waving his hand. Bring them in now, like we discussed. Bring in my army. Granite, as I'm sure you recalled in our previous discussions, only in a case of great emergency, a dire and immediate threat to the people, can we bring our forces in without such a vote. Granite, not grasping the theatrics, looked around, confused. One of the slates shifted uncomfortably. So it is written in the laws of Odros, which are superseded only by the words of the Seydun and the Holy Shell. Any forces of Odrosian military to move through the cathedral gates and reinforce the existing military stationed therein are subject to a vote of the people of the land. If not in a time of emergency or a time of war, this vote must be called. Are you saying every soul in a caravan being slaughtered and torn apart by a massive wolf, a sovereign, doesn't qualify as an emergency? What you'd orchestrated was too weak. This is a real tragedy. There is no need to wait. There are no survivors. Give me my army. The Cardinal of War's mask cracked. His face, his calm, scripted demeanor, tumbled and shattered to the floor. What? was all he could stammer. Dead, all of them. Granite only now realized the need for some level of secrecy, and with an unenthusiastic shrug added, a tragedy. He took a large bite out of the skewer of meat he was holding. Leaf, both of you, the cardinal said. The two slates stood and scurried out. You fucking idiot, the cardinal said. His face was red. His lips quivered, drool dripped from his chin. First your stupid fucking feast, which I'm still cleaning up. Then your fucking wolf. You were told not to use that thing. How you even got control of it? Granite leaned and groaned in exasperation. I told you what was needed. You are too slow. Your little stage attack was nothing, and you can't even guarantee the vote you wanted would pass. Stupid. It is set in stone now. Granite, patience and planning. As I've said many times, patience and planning. Everything is set in the stars. We cannot rush. We, Granite interjected, you cannot rush. Or do you forget? I am starless, unbound, free to follow my own will. You think in years, not days. I want this now. Marinay hid his grin as the Cardinal of War, master musician he thought he was, had his instrument implode in his hands, strings, wood, and pegs flying about the room. The instrument stared defiantly at the musician, and the Cardinal realized it was hopeless. The guiding stars thought they were the wolf, 
but it seemed they had become the flock. Granite, discretion, I beg you. Our plan is set. We will give you what you want, Granite sneered. Think of this the next time I summon you and you send an emissary. Why such a long face, Cardinal? I gave you what you wanted. The Cardinal looked down at his dish and regained his composure. Yes, you did. But in the future, much is dependent on us following the threads. If we stray from them, if we follow threads other than those we've chosen to follow, the consequences will be dire for all. Granite picked up his goblet and drank. He grinned and said nothing. The cardinal watched helplessly. He spoke slowly, his voice still strong, but his spirit breaking. The forces will arrive in the next season. We will move them in slowly. News of this attack will have spread tomorrow. Golan has done his part on softening the north. They will be mostly welcoming. The disappearance of the Lady of the Rose will ease our difficulty in the south. My. The cardinal raised an eyebrow. You said the forces. It's my forces, Granite said, pointing his fork in the cardinal's direction. I control Lakewall. I control armies stationed therein. Bring your little slate in here and they will confirm. Rightly so. I take my leave, Bishop. It is late, the Cardinal said and turned to leave. Wait, Cardinal. Stars guide you, Granite leered. The Cardinal did not return the phrase, turned and left, his head held high, pretending he had a scrap of dignity remaining. Hamlet Corpica one year prior. To Marinet's relief, the bishop took his advice. He haunted the gardens no longer. He was cordial to both the girl and her father. At first, Marinet found this humorous. With only a word of advice, Marinet had made the bishop avert course completely. Back then, Marinet had felt like he had perfectly tuned an instrument for a flawless performance. <laughs> Granite had been taking all Marinet's advice. He had been requesting books on botany be sent to him in the evenings while staying in the Hamlet's archive and reading, reading with Sayut nonetheless. This annoyed Marinet, but he thought little of it. What could be the harm? It was a clear night, and the rock blossom lilies were in season. Marigold, the woman he'd been leering at, had been working in the evenings when no one was around. There was a special blade her father had commissioned just for working with the rock blossom. Shortly after the lily bloomed, it would send out strong, vine-like growths into the water. This would lengthen the life of the pad, but kill the blossom sooner. You were able to extend the life of the beautiful blossom by removing most of these growths. Marigold truly enjoyed this work and was at ease working in the evening without fear of being disturbed or watched. But disturbed she was, a specter summoned by ill fate. Granite was leaving the archives, where he'd coincidentally just finished his readings on botany for the night. He noticed the strange shape of the woman knee-deep in the pond minding her task. Their eyes met. He froze, shocked at her presence. 
Neither had expected this encounter. Something about catching her there, humming in the moonlight and working without fear of observation. Even to the bishop, it had seemed such a pure act that it was as though he'd caught her bathing. He stammered. I'm so sorry, I was just... I, I shall leave you. It was almost cute. A charming, juvenile display. And Marigold pitied the man. It is all right, Bishop. They are your gardens, after all. Granite mumbled something and kept his eyes on the ground. This was a characteristic Marigold had never seen in the Bishop before. Something tender in her was engaged. And so, when he inquired what she was doing, a question that was sincere, she explained the task. Ah, to strengthen the blossom, similar to the pruning of the whisper wood branches, taking off the useless to let the beautiful grow. Marigold tilted her head and smiled. Yes, precisely. Ah, uh, like when old Duke Wintrow died and that bride he'd taken used his fortune on her clothing and hosting events, Bishop said. Marigold laughed a sincere laugh, and the bishop's eyes twinkled. And so they talked. For several minutes, they talked. And then there was silence. Granite tried to kiss her, and she screamed. He stepped back, confused, embarrassed, and suddenly every ounce of charm and decorum was gone. His disappointment was a drop of water in an inferno of embarrassment. It dissipated, and only something feral remained. He was the bishop. This was his hamlet. This girl was his. He snarled and grabbed at her. Compared to the vines of the rock blossom, Granite's flesh was so weak. Marigold barely asserted any effort to bury the blade in Granite's chest the first time. It was an honest accident. His eyes bulged, his mouth gaped. It was his turn to scream as he fell. Eyes peeked from windows. Sleeping minds wondered why they woke. Marigold stood above Granite, shocked. She tried to summon reason, to think logically, but all she got was hundreds of memories of this man looming in her gardens, his eyes always on her, the requests he'd made to her father, the pain her father had endured to protect her. She looked at the blade. This simple stab wound had already all but doomed her. Marigold, knowing her fate was already sealed, made her choice. She stood over granite and plunged the blade back into her tormentor. Again and again, the bishop screamed. And again and again and again. The bishop squealed like a pig and blood saturated his robes. The stench of urine joined with iron. Residents poured from their homes toward the commotion. Marinet was the first to arrive. He pulled Marigold off. Granite let out a ragged gasp. He stared wide-eyed at the sky, his face white and his mouth twitching. Now it was Marinet's turn to stare at the bishop in shock. Marinet did mental calculations. This man was his tormentor, but also his savior. Marinet had dreamed of seeing such a sight as this, but Granite was his fortress, his defense from those who sought revenge. His chest tightened as he processed the amount of blood. It was too late. Granite was as good as dead. In a few more moments, the man would be gone. And Marinet's fortress would crumble. Oh, deep stone, 
Marinay turned to see the wretched gray eyes also staring at the bishop. Marinay noted vaguely that the man's eyes were now a deep gray, grayer than he'd seen before. He's going to die if I don't, Sayat said. Marinay turned. If you don't, what? We, we found something in one of the vaults, Sayat stammered. I, I don't understand it all. I barely read any, but it's clear in the text that was translated. It, it can save a man from dying. Perhaps Marinay's fortress could be saved. Marinay quickly waved over the largest attendants he could. He turned to Sayat. Take us there. They carried granite down through the cellar to the strange laboratory where Sayat worked. Vials of bright liquids, beakers of ooze, herbs, flames, and a sense of something being not right filled the laboratory. Tomes of strange construction littered shelves. Most were wrapped in devices that seemed designed to prevent the reading of these books at all costs. Some had these devices removed. A tome of pitch black and thin silver lettering lay open. Next to it were three large rings of black iron. One of these rings, we need to put it in the bishop's chest, Sayut said. He moved quickly. He procured a knife and began to cut granite's flesh. The cuts were jagged and sloppy. Amateur. Marinay stepped forward and swiftly and professionally cut a perfect incision for the ring to be inserted. Sayut asked no questions. He placed the iron ring in the bishop's chest. He then poured a foul-looking concoction through the bishop's lips, and they all waited anxiously. But Marinay already knew. You don't need to be a student of death to know its signs. Marinay began to think of his next steps as he mumbled the words. Bishop Granite is dead. Hamlet Corpica, a year later, the day after the attack on the Lakewall caravan. It was another clear night. Marinay let himself consider for just a moment if that fortress he'd craved was even needed. The Cardinal of War had not seemed to recognize him. Perhaps this was all for naught. This is why Marinay did not have his blade ready when the Cardinal found him in the gardens. The Cardinal simply stood there, a monumental force there to impose his will on the world around him. The hewn soldiers in the shadows grabbed Marinay. They were fast, trained, and strong. This was it. Of course the Cardinal had recognized him. Of course, of course. Marinay simply prayed that tonight he would learn true death instead of true pain. His hopes were dashed when the Cardinal stepped forward and reached into his robe. I can tell you secrets. I hold much information, Marinay shrieked. It sounded pitiful even to him. He realized he'd closed his eyes. Coward, open them. He found he could not face the reality of his own studies. Look at me, the Cardinal commanded. Marinay opened his eyes. He saw not blade, but wax. The Cardinal held a parchment with the wax seal of the Seydun, the highest office of Odras. The hewn men released Marinay and shoved him forward. The Cardinal did not move except to hold out the scroll. A trap? No, 
There was no malice in the cardinal's eyes. Marinay saw only determination. What is this? Marinay asked. A full pardon for your crimes, the cardinal said, which are numerous, as you are well aware. The cardinal's grip tightened and his lips curled. And personal. I do not offer this trade lightly. I will need some of that information you offer. Marinay's mouth was dry. What do you need? He said. My request is twofold. How did the bishop avoid my assassins? And how are you going to circumvent those protections? How will you kill Bishop Granite for me? Marinay looked down at the scroll. Here it was, his absolution incarnate, and yet it may as well have been the incorporeal souls of those poor sods he'd sent wandering through the deep stone. Worthless. He tore it, and tore it again, and again, and again. He threw the scraps of paper in the cardinal's shocked face. The hewn tried to grab him, but he was swift. He nicked one of their hands with his now-drawn blade and stomped on the toes of the other. The cardinal stepped back, sword in hand, but Marinay was already behind him. Blood trickled down the cardinal's throat. But just a trickle. Marinay did not deliver a killing blow. His hands shook. He laughed. Strange thoughts danced on the outskirts of his mind as that night he'd feared came crashing into his memories. That terrible night. Three days after he'd watched Bishop Granite bleed out. How will I kill him? How will I kill him? You don't seem to understand what you're dealing with. I've tried. I've even seen it done. It just doesn't take. I've seen some of the greatest mages alive try to burn the man to a crisp and it has no effect. How will I kill him? I'm a delinquent, a murderer. You're the fucking cardinal of war. How the fuck are you going to kill the monster? You made him. You kill him. The cardinal stepped away from Marinay. The hewn now grabbed Marinay again, and he let them. How is this possible? The cardinal whispered, his face pale. What powers does he draw on? Marinay laughed harder. It's here I realize the man I feared for so long will have to be my greatest ally. I do not know what quickens him. I watched him bleed to death. The gray eye said I could save him. I acted fast. I did not ask. A ring of black iron found in one of your slate's lost vault was placed in his chest. And then I watched him breathe his last. He was dead. In that moment, I rejoiced and realized that was the greatest path forward. I began my foolish task of taking over this decrepit corner of the earth. I went through the rituals of having the now-dead bishop laid in the stone. He'd been in the stone for two days. We were preparing to notify Odras after the customary third day. When... When in the night... He was just sitting there, in the dark of the Hall of Marta Marie. He was naked, covered in the rags, balms, and grave dirt from the ritual. The black ring was still there, the flesh angry and swollen, but almost iridescent. His eyes were vacant yet terrified. 
He mumbled to himself of various accounts and tasks needed to be taken care of. I couldn't believe my eyes. He began to speak to me as though nothing had happened, asked for the latest news of his accounts. He was pallid, but as sure as you are before me now, he was alive. He fell asleep there at the table, and from there he only recovered. The festering flesh around the black ring healed. He regained his color. After five days, it was not only as though nothing had happened. He was impervious to all attacks. I do not know what his power is, and that is why I need you to find out. Find out the power, and I will work my art to figure out how to kill him. Then I will take that pardon. It is a trick, the cardinal stammered, searching for the logic in this strange tale. This is not possible. He is not a god. He will run out of these tricks soon enough. His precious wolf is dead. Curse that thing and its soul to the abyss. What else can the Bishop Granite possibly do? And Marinet laughed. He fell to the ground and rolled and laughed there beneath the pale moon. Fools. 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 Epilogue. Pale Moon. The same pale moon sat above the chasm, a phantom drifting to dawn of day. The three-sided bridge was gone, as were the sounds of combat. Why? Talie cried, punching Ricky Slar in the arm over and over again. Why? 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 Why did you hold us back? Calm down, Ricky Slar hissed. Calm down. His face was pale, and only a fraction of his attention was on Talie's fist pummeling him. He was processing, calculating. This was bad, but how bad? He felt for the children, but there were more pressing matters. The barrage of blows continued. A whisper, a little help if you wouldn't mind, Ricky Slar grunted, fending off the increasing blows. Whisper sat against a tree, staring at the void where the bridge had once been. His mouth hung slack, and tears flowed down his face. Talie's fists increased to a fevered pitch, and Ricky Slar stumbled back. The assault stopped. Stopped hitting Ricky Slar, at least. The owl blocked the blows and knelt in front of Talie. Save your strength. It's gonna get worse. Talie nodded and then buried her head into the prisoner's chest and sobbed. The owl allowed her for just a moment before pushing her back. He crawled over to whisper. Is he hurt? Ricky Slar asked. The owl did not respond. Is he hurt? Drell echoed. The warden seemed like he would be the next to break into tears. Stunned, the owl responded. Warden, are you bound to Scepter? Drell nodded. The owl pointed towards Lyrian. Use what exchange you have. Heal the woman. Drell nodded. Now, is that wise? Ricky Slar asked, scratching his beard. The slate is probably in cahoots with whoever did this. Besides, she's old and badly wounded. Probably best to just let her, you know, drift off? If she dies, we have to lay her in the stone, Drell said. Especially a revered slate. Ricky Slar groaned. I forgot about all that. 
Well, that's fine. You handle that and I'm going to leave. No. All eyes turned to whisper. No, he repeated. We have to stay together. All of us. Unadvised, the owl growled. Advice has nothing to do with it, Whisper said, standing shakily. What any of us wants has nothing to do with this. It's the only option. Ricky Slar squatted and furrowed his brow. I'll be fine on my own, the owl said. Me too, Ricky Slar chimed in. Whisper pointed to Ricky Slar. You're obligated to take us to Eero. I was there, remember? Efair gave you that, that note? I assume it's something that will give you access to her vault at Eero, no? But you have to get us to Eero. Ricky Slar's face turned scarlet. Well, I didn't say I was going to abandon all of you. I just don't want to travel with him or the slate. He gestured towards the owl and Lyrian. He turned to Drell. And honestly, I'm still unsure about who exactly this is. Drell, Drell said with a smile. It faded as Ricky Slar stared at him absently. Great, and how are you going to eat? Whisper asked. Ricky Slar opened his mouth to speak and then clamped it shut. I hadn't thought of that. I assume you can hunt? Whisper asked, turning to the owl. I can hunt, but not for him. And how do you plan to navigate the many esoteric and strange phenomena of the web, hmm? You're going to need a mage. I'll, I'll try my luck, the owl said. He did not sound convinced by his own words. Me too, Ricky Slar said. Wise choices. We are all dead. Let us separate and speed the process. All eyes turned to the slate in green. She slowly lifted herself up. I care to expound? Perhaps you can show us a stolen book about the subject, Ricky Slar said. Lyrian scoffed. You all think you understand the web. You do not. They are treacherous beyond comprehension. A twisting maze. Their natural forms seem designed to confound and trap. Things you wish you'd never even encountered in dreams or nightmares are manifest here. Besides, to travel through... The old growth without a map is impossible. A map is our only hope. The mage was right. Leave me to die. You all will follow soon. Enough. No, Tilly said. We stick together. All of us. That's my rule. No one dies. No one left behind. And why do you have any say in this matter? Lyrian asked. You said it. I'm our only hope. I read the maps. I know the way. I can lead us through. The owl closed his eyes and his face sank into grim contemplation. Drell gasped. Ricky Slur groaned. And Lyrian's lips curved into a smile. What did you say, girl? She asked. I... I read the maps, Tilly repeated. I... I will lead us through the wilds. Sacrosanct, Lyrian hissed. An accusation, a declaration. All in the group knew the words. 
To read the writing of the church is to subjugate yourself to their rules of the sacrosanct. You belong to the church of deep stone. You belong to me. No, the owl said. I can speak for myself, Tilly said. But the owl was not looking at her. He walked towards the chasm, then ran, and then fell to his knees. No, no, no. The group followed. Deep Stone, what is he doing? Drell asked. Five stood on the edge of the destroyed bridge and stared. The six rose from her spot on the ground, her green robes covered in blood. Is it feather-bound? she asked. Yes, Drell responded. He's on the other side of the chasm. He's just... He's standing there. And all the wardens that were with him there... Dead, Lyrian said. I do not need to see him to know what he's doing. He's painting. He surely used one of his offerings. He's making another. Featherbound stood on the other side of the bridge. In front of him was an easel, a canvas sitting atop it. With his shield still on, Featherbound was painting wildly. He gains power from creating disorder. He captures this power through his art, I have discerned. Whatever power he gathered from Granite's feast is spent. This event has been chaotic enough that he can more than replenish. He's going to need it. Need it for what? Ricky Slar asked. To hunt the girl. Oh no, I'm so scared. A slate with his shield still on is going to chase us through these wilds that are so impossible to navigate. Without those maps that you just said are so important, might I remind you, Ricky Slar said. He turned to leave, but the owl clasped his hand on Ricky Slar's shoulder. Ricky Slar looked up, and the owl pointed across the chasm. The pale moon shifted, and the veil of shadows retreated, and the beasts that only the owl's yellow eyes had spotted emerged from the dark of the web. Bright eyes stared fiercely across the chasm. Two more wolves stood beside Featherbound. Two more sovereigns. Deep stone, Whisper said. Oh, yes. Featherbound's lilting voice carried sing-song across the chasm. Two more, subservient and bound. I will not need my eyes, nor your maps. These ancient beasts are native to this land. You will find we have little trouble tracking you. Do not worry, though. It's going to take me a while to find a proper passage after the inconvenience your teacher has wrought. A head start. Try not to waste it. Stars guide you. Stars guide you, dear comrade Lyrian. Stars guide you, Lady of the Rose. And to Lee, don't kill them all just yet. Leave some for me. Featherbound picked up his painting, the capture of power complete. To Lee, the owl said, kneeling. To Lee, can you find us a path through these woods? We need to go. We need to go now. Yes, child. If we do not want to die a painful death in a few days' time, we need to move, Lyrian said. 
I can do it, Dilly said. Her voice shook. And so the group of six conferred. Trapped in the depths of the web, they talked. The Lady of the Rose watched. And Featherbound and two sovereigns slipped from the pale moon into the eldritch black of the web. Let the hunt begin. And so ends book one of the Stone Singer Chronicles. Thank you for listening. Everything you hear in this show is created by me, Adam Ganong. Every word written, every note played. If the work I am doing here has brought you some joy, some comfort, some entertainment, please consider supporting a solo creator on Patreon. Link to that is in the show notes down below. The Stone Singer Chronicles art is by Peter Bartel. Thank you, Peter. There is a link to his website in the show notes. A special thanks to my wife, Jenna Noor, and my friend, Destructobot. Join the Stonesinger Chronicles Discord to get extra information about the show and officially earn your rank as the Mage of the Third Bond. Again, link to that in the show notes down below. All right, and until next time. Next time.